right. We're going to begin. Hey, Eric, join us. You have to pull up a chair. That's going to be last. Yes. Punishment for being last. It's good to be last. Or, you know, this guy is going to be ratting. All right, let's pray. Let's go before our Heavenly Father. Uh, Lord, thank you so much that uh, you speak to us, that you love us through Scripture. And as we uh, study this uh, doctrine, this difficult doctrine of predestination, we pray that it would not be this mere intellectual exercise that at the end of the class we could say, aha, now we know more, but I pray that you would attend to our hearts. I pray that um, it would increase our sense of wonder at your salvation, um, that praise and uh, adoration would come out of it. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, join us, guys. Hand out. Winnie, good to see you. Actually, I'm going to put the handouts. Can you hold them? Thank you, and hand them out. All right, so we're looking at the doctrine of predestination, um, and you can sort of see what it means if you break it down, that uh, God has predetermined or predecided everything uh, beforehand, before the beginning of time. Um, I was actually uh, introduced to the doctrine, or even to the idea in college, and with great resistance. I did not like it at all. Um, I felt like it violated uh, my decisions or my, my choice in the matter. Uh, and I resisted like crazy for months. And uh, it was only after wrestling with Scripture for a long, long time um, that I came to peace with it. And not just peace with it, but I came to deeply love it and treasure it. Um, as one of the most precious things that the Bible tells us. And I hope that that's what's going to happen today for you guys, too. Uh, some of you may be where I was before, which is that um, as you hear it, you will not like it. Um, I, My own personal uh, view of the matter is that nobody comes to this neutral. Everybody comes to it on the other side, meaning they don't like it. If you like it, you are a weird person. Um, it's also been called Calvinism. Uh I think to some degree, the term Calvinism is a little bit misleading because it gives you the impression that this guy, John Calvin, uh, came up with it. Um, but I like what Spurgeon says. He says Calvinism is just a nickname for biblical Christianity. Um, <laughs> As opposed to non-biblical? <laughs> well, it's, 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 just that, that, uh, uh, it's just a label that we've given okay. to describe and encompass this whole set of views about what is the gospel, you know, what is truth. It isn't just Calvin, but all through the line. Sarah, join us. Um, there's a hand out right to your side. And uh, Augustine taught it, you know, many people believe in it. All right, so what is predestination? Uh, I think a very good definition of it is from the Westminster Confession of Faith. If you guys don't know, the Westminster Confession of Faith is our denomination, our church's summary of what we believe, what, what is our uh, doctrinal positions. Um, it's a very august, very respected confession from the Reformation, um, the longest confession in the Reformation. So I'll read it to you guys. Uh, it says, God from all eternity, right? So let's just stop right there. Um, from all eternity. So what is, what is eternity? Um, so here's time, right? If this is time, eternity means above, beyond, before time, Right? <laughs> so God decided things not in time, not as time uh, is moving and the drama of time is unfolding, but that God from eternity, not within time itself, uh, did by his most wise and holy counsel, did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, his own will, meaning he didn't decide these things um, with respect to anybody else. He didn't say, oh, I see what you're doing. I then will respond. It's not a responsive will. It is his own will. No, he consulted nobody, right? This is in response to nobody. This is within himself of his own will from all eternity. He did it freely, not bound by anything 
uh, not based on anybody else. He did it unchangeably. Unchangeably means that this sovereign will is already written. It does not change. It is done, right? Nothing happens in time that can change this sovereign will of God's. God ordained... Oh, this is a important word that we'll actually discuss a lot in the second class, but it simply means to order or to command. So God ordered and command whatsoever comes to pass. So that's the doctrine, right? And I want to show you uh, today, this is a, a predestination is the general doctrine, and there are two subsidiary doctrines underneath it called election and reprobation. Um, what is election and reprobation? Who can tell me? Tim. Well, election refers to that of the saints, uh, who who is elect, who mm-hmm. is in the book of life. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure what reprobation means. It would be the flip side. So, election is God determining beforehand who will be saved. Okay? And... God determining beforehand who will be reprobate, meaning who will be damned, who will be lost. Okay? Again, this is not in response to anything within us. It's not in response to anything that we do in time. It is not a response to our faith or our decision, but it is determined from all eternity before time even began. Okay? So that's the doctrine. It's also called uh, uh, God's eternal decrees. Um, God chooses some to eternal salvation. God chooses some to eternal damnation. And this was uh, decided within God before time began. Now, as I said before, people really dislike this doctrine. When I first was introduced to it, I hated it with all my might. It's full of controversy. Um, and I want to show you today, uh, not only that is it a biblical doctrine, I believe it is. Uh, in fact, it's everywhere in the Bible. Uh, it is in every single book of the Bible. I would argue it is in every page of the book of the Bible. Um, um, it's not only a biblical doctrine, though, but I want to show you how sweet and glorious it is. Because the doctrine of predestination is ultimately about who does what in salvation. And when you realize that God is the author of salvation, you are not the author of your own salvation, but it is God from beginning to end, then all praise and glory comes to Him. Right? You can claim none of the credit for yourself. It is all by grace. And then... Therefore, the result of this doctrine should be, it should humble you to the dust. It should fill you with wonder about who God is. Um, and hopefully that will happen. All right. So, uh, any questions before we begin? Before we plunge ahead. Is, are these extra copies? Here you go. Oh, Wendy, you are the, you are the, there's one more uh, person. All right. So, uh, any questions? Yes, Nathan. We'll talk about that. Okay. <clears throat> we'll talk about that. Um, so first, let me show you. Let me try to demonstrate to you that it is a biblical doctrine. Um, again, I, we, we can we can discuss a hundred passages, but let me just pull out four. Okay. So a classic one is Ephesians chapter one. Let me read it for you. Blessed Paul writes, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Listen, okay, verse 4 is key. Even as he chose us, so there it is, right? God, it is God who chooses, right? God decides. Even as he chose us in him, when did he do this choosing? Did he do it in time? Did he choose after we choose? Did he choose simultaneously to our choice? No, he did it before the foundation of the world, before we were created, before we even had a molecule, before we existed, he made this choice, right? That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. So there's that word predestined. This is a biblical word. (laughs) Uh, This is not a a, a derived word that theologians had to come up with something to describe it. That would be fine too, but it is also an actual biblical word. The Greek word here is pro-orizo. It's a very good translation of the Greek word pro-orizo. It means to decide beforehand, right? To, to, to determine beforehand. So in love, he determined, he predecided for us uh, adoption through, through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So there you have it, right? Um, Exodus 33, 19. Let's, 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 let's spread the fun. So may I have 
Uh, John, we, do you have to type? Okay, good. And the Lord said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Right. Very forceful. God says, I decide. The decision is mine. Right? God is totally sovereignly free to decide who he will show mercy and who he will not show mercy to. Right? Um, it is his choice, first and foremost, not ours. Let's read uh, Romans 9. Uh, can I have Rachel read it? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? As the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honored use and another for dishonorable use. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Alright. Um, so, the text here is a little bit uh, dense, a little bit difficult to read, but very clear in the metaphor. Right? What is the metaphor that Paul here is evoking? He says, God is the potter, we are the clay. Does not the potter have the absolute right? Who here is an artist? <laughs> Julie, you're an artist, right? <clears throat> um, do you not have the absolute right over your material, right? As the artist, as the creator, um, you decide, if you're a potter, if you want to set aside some of the clay for dishonorable use, what Paul calls vessels of wrath, and if you want to set aside uh, 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 pot, some clay for honorable use, vessels of mercy, right? That's what that's what Paul says, right? Um, and then when did he do this? He tells us in verse twenty-three. He did it. He uh, uh, he made known his riches for the vessels of mercy which he, he which he has prepared beforehand for glory. So it's not like he sort of animated the clay and see what happens. Oh, some are going this way, some are going that way. He determined it beforehand. He predecided. Uh, Acts 13, uh, since I'm with you, Drew, well, I, actually, you're eating, so can I have Nate? <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, oh, there's two Nates, so you, yes. <laughs> uh, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered. Oh, let me just set this up real quick. So this is, uh, 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 this is Paul preaching in um, Antioch and Pisidia, okay? So I don't know how that helps you, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. uh, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. All right, so here's the setting, okay? So Paul is preaching, Paul and Barnabas are preaching. Enormous crowd listens to this preaching of the gospel. Two reactions. Okay? One reaction, anger, <laughs> bitterness, right? They're, they hate, they hate what they're hearing. Another response, repentance, faith. Okay, now, why is there this split response? Why are there these two uh, diff very different kinds of responses? Uh, Luke tells us in verse 20, uh, verse 48, he says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So, it is a matter of God's appointment. God appointed who will believe and who will not believe. Right? Um, so this crowd has both Jews, Jews and Gentiles, right? Yes. That's right. So it's, it's not a matter of ethnic background. It's not a matter of familiarity with uh, biblical uh, texts. It's a matter of God's appointment. That's, that's what Luke is telling us, okay? So, that's the biblical case. Uh, just four short verses. The rest of my three classes, I'm going to spend on objections. I've thought about this for a long, long, long time. Uh, and, and I want to address nine objections. Today, we're just going to address the first one, because it's the biggest one. And then the next week, we're going to address three. And then the next week after, we'll address five. Um, it's like, uh, what's that sequence? Fibonacci's uh, sequence. All right. So any questions so far? Is there any... Uh, questions about clarity. I actually think, as I think about the objections, a lot of it isn't so much um, we don't like it, but <coughs> a lot of it is we don't understand. 
exactly what it's saying. So I think that's what's going on. But yes. One argument that I've, I've heard over and over is that Paul speaks to this more than anything else in, in, you know, in his letters in, in, in the New Testament. Of course. Actually, that's debatable. Yeah. Maybe John. It, well, that, that, John, yeah. that's that's something I'm trying to rectify as well. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. Isaiah. But but is that is that um, what, what what validity does that even have that? In, in? So uh, let me correct you gently. I would say that this is a doctrine that you see in every single book of the Bible. Uh, it's not exclusive to Paul. It's not a Pauline doctrine. Um, so uh, you see, you see some of the strongest statements from Paul, right. uh, but it's everywhere. Okay. He has he, he has eyes to see, to see it. Yeah. Any other questions? All right. So let's move on. First objection. Okay. This is probably the objection, which is like, all right, let me get this straight. Potter clay. Wait a minute. Are you saying we're clay? Because what is clay? Clay is an inanimate object with no will, no desire. So is that what God is doing here, right? Does this mean that we're robots, right? Does this mean, uh, what about free will? Okay, so let me write this down because this is a big question. Do we have free will? And this seems to violate uh, that notion are we like puppets where God holds the strings, right? So that God forces our hands. So that we're saying, you know, what if I said, I don't want to hold, I don't want to pick up that, that, that napkin, but I've been predestined. Ah, I can't. I did it. <laughs> you know? It was against my will, but God predestined me to do it. Is that what's going on? And the answer, okay, and, and we're going to spend the rest of the time <clears throat> unfolding this, unpacking this, is that, um, is that it depends on what you're saying, right? And all of theology can be can be spoken of like this, which is you have to make distinctions. And the key distinction is that there are two kinds of wills, right? So let me let me. There's what we would call natural will. And then there's what we call moral will. These are terms that uh, theologians have come up with. Natural, what is the natural will? Natural will is the ability to do whatever you want to do. Okay, so let me just write that down. What you want. Okay, the moral will is the ability to do what is good and holy. Okay. Now, do we have freedom when it, when it comes to this area? And the answer is yes. We are free. Okay, we're free. If you want to um, go to McDonald's today, God is not going to constrain. He's not going to violate you. So it's not it's, it's not like you're saying okay. Uh, I really want to go to McDonald's. Why am I walking to Burger King? <laughs> right? Um, um, God does not violate your will in that way. Whatever you want to do, you can do. Right? He does not... He, you are not a robot where you're pre-programmed. You're not a puppet in which you're forced. <clears throat> right? There has never been a moment in your life where you're like, why am I going this way? Why am I? Why, why is my arms moving? Right? Your will, in that sense, your natural will, your desirous will, is never violated. Right? And so we're never conformed. We're never constrained against uh, what we desire. And so this is what I would call the ability to execute. Okay? We can do. We can do whatever, whatsoever we want. Now, the other kind of will is. The moral will, which is the ability to do what is good and holy. And in, exa- and, and in this, we don't have, we're not free. Okay? So let me give you an example. What does the Bible say? The Bible commands us, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Now, can you do that? Of your own natural ability. Can you do that? The answer is no. Right? 
Um, you might say, well, you know, sometimes I do it. Yes, but can you do it all the time? The answer is no, right? And um, and in that sense, uh, and it's and it's actually worse than that, even the way I put it. Um, and so I would put this as the ability to love. Can you love God? Again, of your own natural volition, of your own natural will, and the answer is no. And there's tons and tons of scripture that talks about this, right? Um, Ephesians 2.1, Paul writes, we are dead in our sins. So let me write this down, because the, 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 the metaphor here is very important. Okay, Paul says in Ephesians 2, we are dead in our sins. Now, think about that metaphor. I don't know if, you, if you've ever seen a dead person, right? Maybe if you've gone to a funeral. What can a dead person do? Dead person can do nothing. They have no ability. They have no power, right? And that's what Paul says. We are absolutely incapable. Spir- are we? Am I actually physically dead? No, I'm physically alive. But I'm spiritually dead. I am morally dead. Not injured. Not handicapped. You know? Dead. Dead means nothing. No ability. No capability. We cannot love God. We cannot please Him. We cannot obey Him. Because we are dead. Okay? John 8. 834, Jesus says you are slaves to sin. Think about this metaphor. Okay? What is a slave? Do you have freedom as a slave? I believe that is the very opposite of what you have, right? To be a slave means you must obey not your own desires, not your own will, but what? Your master. And who is your master? that Jesus here is speaking of in, eight, in John 8. Huh? Sin. sin. That's right. Sin. Our sinful nature tells us, do this, we must, we must obey. And what does sin tell us? Run from God. Rebel against God. Shake your fist against God. And therefore, we cannot do anything but that. So we do not have moral will freedom but we do have natural will freedom, okay? And so let me um, let me unpack this for you, okay? Uh, with an illustration. So, this is a fun illustration. I like this illustration. Imagine, um, I place before you two plates, okay? And one plate has filet mignon, and I, I tried to, let me try to, there you go. You know, it's got a lot of fat. Um, filet mignon. Oh, is that T-bone steak? T-bone steak. And then um, there's uh, a baked potato with butter. There's uh, grilled vegetables. Okay. The most, uh, this is at a five-star restaurant in San Francisco, the greatest meal you have ever seen. Succulent, delicious. And then on the other plate, you see this steaming pile of feces, vomit, um, throw up, uh, a diarrhea, right? Okay. And then there are flies, just in case. <laughs> now, um, would you ever choose, so I said, okay, here, here, here's two plates. You may eat one. Okay? Because you may notice, I'm going to come back to you, Hanson. All right. Uh, you may eat one. Would you ever choose to eat this? No. No. <laughs> never. Never, right? Now, if I said to you, why can't you eat it? You would say, I can't. I can't. Now, let's get a little bit philosophical, okay? Because when you say, I can't, I can't eat this the pile of diarrhea. I can't. Do you mean that you lack the natural will? Do you mean that you that that somebody is handcuffing your 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 arms 
and then like you're like wanting to go to the poo, but someone grabs your face and takes you to the T-bone steak. No. No one is coercing you. In fact, if you truly wanted to, like let's say I put a gun to your head, Hans, and I said, it's your life or a spoonful of the of the feces? Probably, Hanson, right? You would say, give me the spoonful of feces, right? So you have the physical ability to do it. Everyone has the physical ability to eat feces. <laughs> right? Right? That's true, right? But, um, but, when you say, I can't, what do you mean? You mean, I really, 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 really don't want to eat it. It repulses me. Even looking at it makes me want to throw up. Right? So therefore, you lack the desire. You lack the affectional ability to eat it. Not the natural will. So, here's the question. Is that a lack of free will? Right? The fact that you can never pick this, and you will always pick this, does that mean your free will is violated? Right? And we would say no. It's not a lack of free will. It's a lack of desire. It's a lack of heart affection for poo. In other words, your will is always, always bound to your nature. And therefore, um, um, because you have human nature, you don't desire feces, right? And therefore, you don't have what philosophers call absolute freedom. Okay? So let me write this down. Absolute freedom. Absolute freedom is that you can go to, you can stand before these two plates, and you can say, I think I'll have some feces today. And then you eat it. And the next thing you say, give me the T-bone steak. That would be absolute freedom. Nobody has absolute freedom. Even God doesn't have absolute freedom. Because can God do anything? Whatever. No. Can he lie? No. Can he... Can he do evil things? No. He can never do evil. Therefore, his will, even his will, is confined and constrained to what? His nature and his desires. <laughs> so too with us. So nobody, absolute freedom is a philosophical, hypothetical construct which doesn't exist. Nobody has that, yeah? Um, so in, in terms of your metaphor, it... You, you can stop me if I'm perhaps going taking this perhaps too far, but would it be appropriate to say that because we were born in sin, mm -hmm. we all start with the T-bone steak being sin and the pile of feces being God? And, I'm going to go exactly and, and where God you're talking about. Yeah, takes some of us and and or takes some of us and switches the signs That's so right. that God becomes the T-bone steak and sin becomes the feces. That's right. That's right. I'm exactly going there. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so do we have free will? Uh, no, if you mean absolute freedom. We can never pick the feces. Never. Okay. Not that we don't have the natural ability. We we can execute our our. I mean, I can do it. I should just bring a pile of poo and just show you. <laughs> um, but. But we don't have uh, absolute freedom in the sense that um, we can we can we can choose to we can choose to desire to want to do it. We can't love feces. Okay. So do you have free will? You're free to do whatever you want, but you're not free to do what is right. That's the answer. You don't have moral freedom or moral will. Uh, Adam and Eve did, but ever since the fall, we've all become corrupted. We've all fallen. We have our sin nature is embedded within us, and therefore we cannot, for example, obey the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, soul, strength, and mind. Okay. Any questions before I move forward? Yes, Nate. Uh, so, how do you reconcile natural will and God's sovereignty? Like, does does it detract from God's sovereignty the fact that we're able to, you know, choose? That is a very good question, and that will be a class number two. <laughs> Because, because a lot of people will say, and Nate is anticipating a very good question, which is, okay, if God predetermines all things, shouldn't that even violate our natural will? Right? Because if I'm predetermined to pick up this, this marker, mm -hmm. then how can I be the one deciding to pick up this marker, right? That will be the first question we answer next week.
And the answer is, it doesn't violate our natural will, but it requires some explanation. Um, any other questions? No? Okay. So, this is what the Bible tells us, and this is why predestination is in the Bible, okay? Every human heart has been bewitched, so that what is good and beautiful looks like a steaming pile of feces, as Tim was saying, and what is foul and disgusting should be to us looks like the succulent T-bone state, right? So what happens is that sin has cast a smell over our hearts, right? This is the fall. This is, uh, uh, this is, um, this is uh, uh, our sinful natures, right? So that sin looks like the succulent meal and fellowship with God, loving God, looks like feces. That's what happens. And so this is the doc. And so can we choose? Can you choose? And the answer is you can't choose. Just like you can't choose between the T-bone steak and the feces, you can't choose between sin and God. You can't. Because you're bound to your nature. Because you could only do what you desire. Right? Um, and therefore, this is called the doctrine of total depravity. Total depravity doesn't mean that we're as wicked and depraved as we can possibly be. It means that every aspect of human nature is fallen and corrupted so that even our wills, even our hearts, even our minds is lost, is corrupted, is darkened, right? So that when we see God, when we see sin, sin looks really desirous to us. Um, I was uh, 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 talking to someone once. Um, I, I, I've shared, I shared this story to you before, right? Where um, I had a very good friend who wanted to pursue divorce, right? And he was living with his mistress. And uh, I'll never forget this conversation because I said to him, like, go back to your wife, you know? Love her. Obey God. And he said to me, I can't because I'm so happy. Why would you want to keep me from happiness? And I said to him, no, you're so mistaken. I know it seems unhappy, but true happiness is to go back to your wife, to love your wife, to treasure her. Um, he said, I don't believe you. I don't think so. My mistress, he didn't call her his mistress, but he said, essentially, my mistress, that's happiness. And I, and I remember the experience of talking to him. I, I remember thinking, it's like, it's like some sort of spell is over you, and you can't see straight. You can't see that when God says, love your wife, don't commit adultery, he's not just saying, here are some arbitrary rules, here are some hoops that you have to jump through. This is for your happiness. This is for your flourishing. Do this, and you will live. But because of our sin nature, we don't see it. We don't believe it. That's what, that's what has happened to us, right? This spell, okay? So where do we see this? Um, three passages. Let me go through it very quickly. Where am I? Marcus, do you have a text with you? Um, Romans 8. Oh, Romans 8. Is, the sinful mind is hostile to God. Yes. Hostile, right? We're enemies with God. Uh, Jeff, Romans 3. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. <laughs> Right? No one seeks for God. No one desires God naturally of their own volition, their own desire, because we're all under a wicked spell. And the wicked spell is the fall. Right? John 3, uh, Dorothy. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because they're deeply Yeah. You know, my, uh, my two boys, they have to sleep with the nightlight. Darkness is scary. Darkness is evil. That's the way it should be. But because of our fallen nature, uh, we actually love the darkness. We love evil. Right? And we hate the light. We don't love God. We love sin. Alright? So, uh, therefore, therefore, and this is the doctrine of predestination, therefore, our only hope is divine intervention. Because we're dead, because we're slaves, it cannot 
our salvation cannot arise or originate within us. Right? It must be that God, you know, because our minds are darkened, our hearts are cold, we're dead in our sins, therefore it depends on the initiative of God. In other words, God must make the first move. Right? God has to be the first mover. Because we cannot, we cannot make the first move. It's not like we're dead and God's just like, like a doctor. Give me a sign, any sign. Just move your pinky and then you'll have life. God says, okay, there's spiritual life. Let me infuse even more spiritual life. You're dead, right? The doctor called it, you know, dead on arrival. Um, and therefore, God must be the one to do, to, to, to make the first action. Ezekiel 36, 26, uh, where are we? Um, can I have a Sarah read for us? Sure. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Yes. So God has to do radical heart surgery on us. Right? He has to take the divine initiative to remove our cold, dead hearts. Hearts of stone that don't love him. And he has to give us a heart of flesh that loves him. Right? Uh, as Tim was saying, God has to come into our hearts and wake us up. Uh, give us eyes to see the truth. And then suddenly we see the true reality. We see our sins and we're aghast. How? How can I have loved this, this thing, which causes death, which just causes destruction, which offends God, which violates his will, his, 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 his laws? And how beautiful is Christ, right? There's a really interesting passage in um, uh, 1 Corinthians where Paul is talking about how uh, Christ crucified is foolishness to Gentiles and a stumbling block to, to Jews, right? So the gospel is naturally ridiculous, offensive, foul when you hear it. And it's foul across cultures, you know, in different ways, right? But to those who have been called by God, it is the power, it is the wisdom of God, right? You see Christ crucified, and you say, that's God loving me. Right? That's the wisdom of God. Uh, uh, look how beautiful his sacrifice is. Can you see the beauty of Christ naturally of your own desire or your own will? And the answer is, you cannot. Only if God, as Ezekiel 36 says, does radical heart surgery. Um, so finally, the issue of Calvinism or the issue of predestination is about who does what in, in salvation, right? And the answer is God is ultimately the author of our salvation because he is the first mover. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, I believe, and this is what I believe when I first heard this doctrine, I believe that ultimately I choose God. Um, but I'm not saying that I'm doing a lot. My faith is just a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage, right? My faith is 1%. God's initiative, God's work, God's grace is 99%, right? Um, uh, in the movie Malcolm, uh, Malcolm X, I'll, I, I remember this famous scene where um, uh, Malcolm X, the prisoner, he's talking about uh, how, how do you come to God, and then this, the, the, the older prisoner was saying to him, you take one step to God, and God will take uh, uh, 99 steps towards you. I don't, I don't think it was 99, it was like 9 steps. But I'm going to extend it. 99 steps towards you, right? And that sounds really humble and gracious. All that, all that it requires of you is one step, a tiny step. All you need to do is just move your pinky on the, on the hospital bed, and then God will swoop into the rescue. But if you say that, if you say 1% is me, 99% is God, then what does that mean? It means even a tiny sliver is you. Your merit, um, it's to your credit, and then it's not grace all the way, right? Whatever small portion you pay, you played, that's to your credit, that's your contribution. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does predestination say? It says that it's grace all the way. Nothing you can claim. Nothing is yours that you can boast about, right? Ephesians 2, where are we? Gary, do you have a piece of paper? Okay. Winnie, can, can you read Ephesians 2? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may I don't know if you know, this is a verse about predestination. Because listen, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. What is a gift? 
something you don't deserve, something that comes to you completely uh, not in response to you, but by the graciousness of the giver. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. No Christian can say, I played my 1% contribution. I mustered up faith on my own. I saw, you know, all you suckers, you saw that, uh, 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 you thought that this, you know, T-bone steak is sin. Uh, you thought uh, God is this feces, but I saw. I had the insight. No one can say that. No one can say, I saw the reality. Everyone can say, everyone should say, all believers, I was dead. There's this amazing uh, imagery in Ezekiel, right? This valley of dry bones where um, uh, there's this valley full of these desiccated just bones. And who can give life to this, to this valley? Only God. So the Spirit of God comes and He gives flesh. That's who we are. We're dead bones on a dry valley. And God comes and He, by His own sovereign uh, uh, will and desire, gives us life. And so... uh, so salvation is not from us, it's, it's by God. It's by are grace. You, are you saying that the, yes, there's still 1% faith and 99% grace, but then the 1% faith is still just a gift? No, I'm saying it's 100% grace. <laughs> because, because, because we cannot choose. So even even the faith, see, and so we'll talk about faith, because you're saying, what about faith? That's class number three. Um, but faith is absolutely necessary. But the answer is, faith is also itself a gift. Where do you see that? Ephesians, right? It says, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, okay? And so that statement, what is that, right? Through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Even faith is a gift. So even our responsive, so God is the first mover, then we respond by faith. But our response by faith is a gift. Because the only way you could respond by faith is what? Is if God comes in, pulls out your heart of stone that hates him, gives gives you a heart of flesh, and then you can see. And if you can see, that's because it's a gift. It's because God's initiative. So there's no 1%, 99%. It's 100% God from beginning to end. Yes? Well, let's go with Nate. If it's a gift and it was before the foundations of the world, That's right. So the decision of our salvation, our eternal destiny, is determined in eternity. But when it actually happens, the drama of our lives happens in time. So this is when you believe. This is when you have faith. So our part to play in it. We do have a part to play in it. And it happens in time. But our part is a response to God's first part. So it's kind of like this, right? You're on the operating table, you're dead. The coroner pronounces you dead. Then God comes and gives you life. And so there is a time in which um, you actually arise from the operating table, but even that you can't say is from yourself. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, Tim, did you have a question? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I think it, it may be some, considered something more of a comment, which is that... Um, to, to say that you take one step and God takes 99 steps seems to me to be actually, there's, a, there's an insidious element here where, where it really just means that God is at your beck and call, which means you're God. Sure. So there are and, all and kinds of alternative views. I would say the most popular view is that you take one tiny step and then God runs to you. Right, but right? if you make the initiative, then he's yeah. at your beck and call. Right, and so that's, that's the implication. Another one is that um, there's there's a firewall of of there's a firewall of freedom, and God is bl- it's a double blind scenario, right? And God doesn't see what you're doing, he don't, he won't peek, and you can't see what he's doing, and then it's like go, and you both are like it's kind of like a, a how those dating websites work, right? You, you each see your each portrait, right? And you each say yes, I like you, and yes, I like you, right? But you don't get to see each other's responses before you make the choice, right? Okay. And then so uh, uh, the person chooses God, and God chooses the person. It's like, ah! <laughs> it's a match, right? So that's a theory, right? And predestination says that's not true either. Because can you truly look at God's portrait and say, ooh, he's handsome, 
No. You know why? Because we're dead. Okay? We look at God and he's this, you know, shaggy, per- shabby person. He's like disgusting looking, you know, and, and you're like, oh, gross. <laughs> I hate him. You like smash your smartphone. Never. So it cannot be a double blind date uh, setup. Even that scenario is correct. The, da- the t- true dating scenario is you, you are like running, God comes. He tackles you down. He wrestles you to the ground. He turns you over and he says, Look! Look at me! You're like, Oh, I thought you were ugly. Now you're beautiful. That's the scenario. That's what predestination is saying. Okay? But what predestination says is that God does this to some. He tackles some, but he doesn't tackle others. It's his own sovereign will. He decides this before time even began. So, could you also say then that um, God switches the signs or whatever so that everyone can see God's goodness and then based on people's natural world, some people choose to return to their sin and some people choose God. That everyone is then brought from death into the ability to see who God really is. Right, right. The answer would be no, um, because <laughs> uh, for several reasons. Number one, um, if we if you could truly see the truth, right? If you could see that sin is feces, mm-hmm. and God and obedience and fellowship with Him is this succulent meal, would you ever choose sin then? Well, some people would. No, it's like the choice of smoking. Everyone knows the risk factor. And yet some people will go ahead and say... Ah, because there's good stuff in smoking. Because when you smoke, people are like, oh, you're a rebel, you're so cool. And they they say, I I know about the risk, Uh and I don't care. And so some people can look at God and say, I know the truth, but I don't care. No, that's that's not how it works. Because, again, right, um, you always decide based on your heart and based on your nature. So you don't. So you're you're almost proposing the absolute freedom scenario, right? That you can see steak and you can see feces and you can but say only because of God's grace, only because of God's grace, right, right. Can we be brought from death into the ability to see God and sin, right? And so if I gave you a plate of feces, Sarah, and if I gave you a T-bone steak, could you ever choose feces? Could you say, you know, it's probably going to taste bad? And it might give me like illness. I know the risks, but I will go ahead and take a bite of that yummy feces. Wait, wait, wait. Let me wait, well, let me do, let me just go, with Sarah. No, I would not. I would, would not, not yeah. choose sin over God. But I do, and mm-hmm. you know, because of my sin nature. Sure. And I do know people who say, you know, yeah, I'm not. Just, I'm just not willing to. I see that God has, you know, and they just don't want it, you know. And so it makes me think. People, I don't know. I, no, I, 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 I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, I understand what you're saying, and the answer is that it's twofold, right? If you look at it, um, if you look at the nature of the choice before us, mm-hmm. um, it's so stark and it's so real and it's so true that one would never choose rebellion and death if their eyes have been opened, if God has truly given them a heart of flesh. They would always, always then see the truth, right? Um, um, like this choice, right? It's as stark as this choice. In fact, it's starker than this choice. So you would never pick feces. The other thing, right, is that nowhere do you see in the Bible this idea that God has opened everyone's eyes. Nowhere do you see a text where it says God has given everybody a heart of stone, removed it, and gave them a heart of flesh. Well, that the heart of stone, heart of flesh, heart surgery... God chooses sovereignly for some, but not for others. Like like um, Exodus 33, where God says, right? I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So therefore, God is saying, there are some I don't show mercy to. There are some I'm not gracious to. That's a great question. That's class number three. John 3, 16. <laughs> because, because it does imply yes. that whoever... Yes. John 3.16, as well as many other verses, say 
all ye who want to have eternal life, come to Christ. Right? So what do we do when, when God says, no, some I, some I will choose, some I will not. What do we do with all of these verses? And there are many that says anyone can come. That's class number three. We'll get to it. I hope it will be a satisfying answer. Yes, Winnie? Um, God is good by nature. Yes. He can't do anything against that nature. Like you said, no absolute freedom. Doesn't that he choose some and he doesn't choose some kind of violates that? Yeah, so it goes to the issue of fairness. Is God fair in doing this? We'll talk about that next week. <laughs> We're talking about this nice meal in feces, but I'm thinking of like everyday decisions of mm-hmm. sin and God. And a lot of times, even though we think that we're predestined, we choose to sin. So doesn't that argument break down then? Yeah, so that's a very good question too. So God gives us a heart of flesh, okay, so that we see him, but we still struggle with the remnants of sin. Sin is not sin. The Bible, ta- the Bible talks about um, sin in believers in a very paradoxical way. It says, on the one hand, we're dead to sin. But on the other hand, it says that sin still has this power. It constantly warns us. Sin is crouching. It's ready to devour you. So it, we are already delivered. Sin is already dead in us, but not yet. So there's this conflict. There's this war. But we're essentially, we've crossed over, right? Um, so that we, have, we, we put our faith in Christ and we grow as believers. So, so even if that sin takes us, take one person to even to kill another person which really is in God's economy no different than hatred mm-hmm. so you're, you're, what, what you just explained right there I mean, so the, it, it still supports that e- even those who are predestined mm-hmm. who are chosen who are saved mm-hmm. even if it may lead them to a deep sin as to yes as to I, murder, I, I, yeah, I think I understand you're right to, you're right, to you're my right. heart to hatred on the road as you're I'm right so, so if you've had this if you've experienced this heart surgery that you have a heart of flesh you may indeed make grievous terrible, backsliding sins. You may for years run from them, but ultimately, you cannot run from them. Ultimately. Because it's not up to you again. It's by the grace of God and He will call you home. He will bring you back. Right, so ultimately, you cannot be lost. Yeah. Carlos? Oh, what, what about, uh, what do you think about uh, once saved, always saved? Yes, so I, that's a very crude way to put it, but if if, if if the beginning of your salvation is by grace alone, by, by God, by God's sovereign initiative, then the whole of your life is, is that too. But isn't there a part for us to play? We'll talk about that next week. Um, any other? Uh, service starts in three minutes. Okay. <laughs> Last question. Okay. <laughs> so, but it's along the lines of what we've been talking yes, about. Yes, yes, yes. This idea of, uh, um, I'll talk to you later. Okay. <laughs> Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, this is certainly just a tantalizing foretaste of, of so much more deeper that we can go. But, Lord, we pray that help us. Help us to understand you. Help us to understand our salvation. Help us to see what Christ did for us. Um, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.